The world is a new place, and we're all making adjustments. It moves faster and changes direction more frequently than ever before. People feel stuck, unfulfilled, and lost in their lives. I hear this all too often. Where are the answers? Someone please just give me the answers. Well, what if I told you the answers are finally here? My name is Scott McDonald, and I was once just like you. Join me on my process of personal development, pathway of success, and pursuit of happiness. For you see, my job isn't just to ask questions. My job isn't to just listen. My job is to ensure what happened to me does not happen to you. This is the Real Experience Student Athlete Edition podcast. My name is Scott McDonald. Today I have Toronto Lee side coach Chala Bakterlu joining us today. Chala, it's great to have you here. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here. It's, you're finally here. I've been talking about it for uh, for a long time now, and we finally get to uh, have this uh, have this discussion, this all meet and greet. So how's everything uh, holding up with the uh, self-isolation on your end? Your athletes are probably driving you crazy with uh, figuring out what you need to do now, eh? I think the first first couple of days were fine. You know, it was crickets. The, people were upset that, yeah, we're not on the ice and it ended abruptly. But uh, and then, like I said, the crickets last couple of days. And now now there's phone calls and texts and messages. And I miss you. I miss hockey. What am I doing with my life? So um, it's been an interesting learning curve, I think, for all of us. You've gained 17 new best friends overnight, basically. <laughs> uh, well, I actually coach more than one team. So there's that's right, actually. That's uh, right. It's closer so to 40. from. Yeah, I think it's closer to 40. Plus a couple of the parents are asking me for some advice how to deal with their crazy kids. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's been an interesting experience. And that's interesting, too, because they're going to the person who doesn't have kids to say, hey, what should I do to keep them preoccupied? I thought they would have had that experience figured out by now. Because some of your athletes are 14, 15, upwards of you know, 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I guess... I think it's uh, our relationship, like my relationship with them is different. And I think some of the parents are even asking me, hey, can you reach out to them? And can you say this for me? And I think that's also what's important about having a, a non-parent athlete on your bench sometimes is hearing that from a different voice can be um, a little bit more effective. So, so, so take, take me through that actually, cause that's something interesting that I heard from, uh, 
um, a, a psychiatrist, uh, Gabber, or psychologist, I should say, uh, Gabber Mate, who was on the London Real uh, podcast that I had listened to. And he's from Vancouver. And he was talking about, um, you know, between uh, coaches and parents, there's the role and then there's the relationship with, right. with you know, um, youth. And I find that, you know, before, you know, parents kind of want to, Parents have tend to play both, even though they should be developing more relationship. And I think that's becoming more acceptable with coaches now, where before the coach's role was, you know, it's my way or the highway, or this is how we do things around here. You know, I have an open door policy, but I'm going to shut you out every chance. And now that's different. And especially in female sports, like it's been more mm-hmm. of, you know, they can find in, you know, a female coach a lot more and they feel more comfortable. Um, how do you think, like, what's a gr- great way to, uh, or, let me rephrase that. What is, uh, how is that becoming such a greater asset now in, in female sports? Scott, I, I think the, the big piece of this, I mean, I can speak to female sport more than male sport, but Absolutely. I think the big piece of this is that um, we've now socially and as a society taken in the mental health piece of the game. So yeah. when we used to look like even myself when I was younger, uh, I only I had a coach that just wagged his finger and screamed at everybody and that was the way it went, right? Old school hockey. And now, um, especially like this past season, I did have uh, an assistant role, assistant coach role. So it makes it a little bit easier to play good cop, bad cop kind of situation. But I just mean in general, you know, if your athlete's not performing, it's not just physical anymore. We understand that there are mental aspects to this. We understand that there are emotional pieces. Again, especially for the women's side of the game, where those things were a little bit more ignored, you know, they were kind of brushed off as, oh, women are more emotional. but you know, it's, it's something that can start to weigh in on the game, especially when you're thinking about young athletes, male or female, between the ages of what, 12, 13, upwards of 16, 18, we've got a lot of changes going on physically, emotionally, you know, mentally, as well as in their home life. So if you, I think if you start to discredit what that's worth, you're not really helping coach the full athlete. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's something that it, it's great that it's happening now because, you know, even with myself, like, you know, and it's different on, on the voice side and it still kind of is, um, you know, I think by the time that they get upwards of major junior, junior, it's, they, they start to take it more seriously, but there's obviously mm-hmm. a, a lack of coaching at the minor level where, you know, with paid coaches in, in minor sports today, that's their job, that's their livelihood. So there is um, kind of like that, uh, that exertion and explosion of, of, um, what they will call passion, but it's really just, you know, poor attitude right. on the coach's part. Um, and they can be really detrimental to the mental health of, of the athlete. Uh, and, and, and it's something where I think too, because it, it happened to me when I played and mm-hmm. if you go back, it was, it was there. It's just not as it's, it's not, it's socially acceptable now, which is a right. great thing. And I, and I think right. that's the one thing where female sports have really embraced it. And, mm-hmm. and made it, you know, uh, more welcoming and made it just a part of their program. Where on the boy side, you know, there's still a bit of a, you know, come on, toughen up or you're going to embarrass dad, you're going to sure. embarrass coach. Um, sure. So, so, you know, w- we all know what's going on in the world with this COVID-19 thing. Uh, were you at the, were, was your, either of your teams, uh, were you with them at the time when, when the announcement was made that, hey, you know, the season's canceled? So um, I have practice every night. Um, some it's obviously with a different team, but, um, I was, my partner's also in healthcare. So I have a little bit of a different window to this kind of experience. So, um, I had practice Wednesday nights with, with the juniors and Thursdays, I was supposed to go on the ice with the Bantam team. Um, and Wednesday night through to Thursday morning, I had a talk with my partner and, and we kind of 
had an idea of what was going on. I mean, no one's still really sure, but we weren't sure then. And I, you know, I, I emailed the head coach or co-coach and the other assistants and trainers and said, Hey guys, I, I don't think I'm going to go to practice on Thursday. I'm not comfortable with it. We had a lot of athletes returning from vacations. We had a couple of kids that were already sick, but we don't know what kind of sick they were. And so I said, you know, I think I'm just going to sit out Thursday. Um, Cause we had the big, we had the Lisa tournament coming up, the March Madness tournament coming up that weekend. Right, and I was like, tournament. I just, I just need to give it a little bit more time and, and make sure that I'm protecting myself first, because if I'm not well, I can't, I can't help anybody. So while I sat out on Thursday at practice was at eight 30. And I think like, I think nine o'clock uh, the OWHA had announced on Twitter, like, that's it. We're, we're canceling um, all of these sanctioned events. So I wasn't at the rink. I had, I had decided not to, to go to practice that evening. And it's hard because I, I knew that that Wednesday skate with my juniors was the last one, you know, I would have, yeah, I, I would have felt differently. I don't think I, I would have done anything differently. Like, you know, maybe, maybe a few more hugs before I left the rink, but uh, yeah. So I wasn't at practice. I had actually decided to, to not go, but then that was it. So no tournaments, no provincials, no playoffs. A lot of coaches that I've talked to uh, in, in previous episodes this week and just a lot of people in general I've talked to in the sports world where their sons or daughters are in, in some of them, again, are coaches where they're like, if I knew that was the last one, mm-hmm. I would have acted more accordingly. I would have, you know, cause some, cause some of them are having a little, a little regret. Oh, you know, that, that last practice, last game, I really gave it to so-and-so and, and that's how that's the note I'm leaving it on. And right. I said to them, I'm like, well, you know, we're all learning to reconnect right now because we have more than enough time to do it. We've been so disconnected leading up to this. This is actually, that's kind of a silver lining I've, I've sort of preached is that it's the perfect time to reconnect with people and actually, sure. uh, you know, actually kind of do that healing or to, to do that follow up and say, you know, uh, just we didn't have a, uh, we didn't sign off correctly. So like, here's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, here's, here's what I think uh, what's great about you. So I think that's awesome. What's, um you know, what, what's really been the, the, the biggest challenge for your athletes right now? Um, you know, being in this self-isolation, what's the one top a topic that's popping up the most and that they're looking for you to guide um, them on? I, I think a lot of them, like I said, they're going through this wave of emotion. So first it was just sadness. They were like, all my friends are gone. And you're talking about, I mean, majority of my athletes again are from 14 to 18. And so the social piece is really hard. So they're reaching out, telling me they're bored and they're reaching out, telling me I miss hockey. Um, so I do have some senior athletes who are graduating and going off to university. Um, and I have some athletes who are returning obviously for their, for their, um, U18 or midget careers as well as their second year junior. Um, but the biggest thing is I'm bored and I miss hockey. And so I think that because we do a lot of young athletes, male and female validate their own characters through hockey only they're finding themselves at a little bit of a loss, but they also don't have school. So I can't, I can't imagine, can't imagine being 16 and this happening to me. Yeah. And and this is like, you know, obviously this is an extreme case, but why, you know, I started this podcast and, and joined London real on this journey of developing this, this resource to student athletes is that so when stuff like, like, you know, certain scenarios in life pop up, you know how to handle them. And and this is kind of like a Mm -hmm. library for that. And they're able to, you know, get, get some new information and understand, you know, okay, what can I do during these times? And when I was talking to Jesse Cook earlier today, you know, we really said like, this is a great opportunity and they won't even know they're doing it. If they start doing the little things is to develop their, their mental toughness, their mental awareness mm-hmm. of what's going on, uh, their communication skills and reconnecting with people, like a lot of good skills that would still, de- is still developing as a student athlete 
Um, you know, it's not, it's not the, the on ice or on field or on court stuff. It's not in the gym, but you know, even during the darkest hours, this could be some of the, the brightest light can be coming from this, from, from developing different life skills. How, how important do you think it is for, especially at those ages, let's, let's say uh, 14 to 18, cause that's the, the world you're in. How important do you yeah. think it is right now to start developing those? Cause they'll be of greater value when they do leave for their collegiate careers. I think in general, and not to get away from, from your, your, your specific question, but I think in general, um, maybe because of technology and I don't want to sound old (laughs) but I think that these kids don't get to spend a lot of time with themselves and I think that reflection is really important so in this time I think for everybody uh, my athletes their parents and all of us in between I think now is actually a really great time for reflection and if you look at yourself and think you know what do I hold of value where are my ethics my morals Um, what kind of characteristics and personality traits do I want to have how do I want to represent or present myself what do what what do I want people to think of when they think of my neighbor when they see me? You know, mm-hmm. I think um, people skills, like you said, can still be built right now. Like, you know, we're having this conversation now. You can the beautiful thing about technology is you can FaceTime somebody and work on the communication. You can't just sit on your phone and text the whole time. Like right now, it's actually I think forcing more people just want to see that face to face. It's forcing more people to have those conversations and read your emotions and tell somebody you miss them, which might have been hard before. So I think, uh, especially for this group of athletes that I'm working with, who express themselves physically all of the time, getting this out emotionally, verbally, and really trying to take the time that they're alone and make it valuable. Like I think checking in mentally is is kind of what I'm getting at. I think that could be um, a highlight here. Like you said, a silver lining. Yeah, well, and it's funny, you know, I was talking to a parent the other day um, who we were just shooting the breeze on the whole situation. And uh mm-hmm. And he, and he said, you know, I didn't, uh, he's like, you know, I haven't spent this much alone time with my family and I forgot how cool they were. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was joking that like, this is a, this is a test for a lot of people, a lot yeah. of relationships, a lot of friendships, families, you know, whatever kind of extended family you may live with. It's really testing. Like, you know, maybe you haven't like for myself, I haven't been home this much uh, since last July, you know, when hockey season hits for me, it's, it's eight days a week. So for me, it's like, wow, I forgot how much I love to do a puzzle. I forgot how much I, you know, like there's such small things, even just like organizing a cupboard. Like you're like, oh man, this needed to be done months ago. So I think for, for people, this can be a really positive thing if they keep themselves busy, checking with themselves. And like I said, they need to be able to reflect. Well, and it's, it's, it's good that you mentioned that, like, you know, what you're adapting to and and reconnecting with on your end too, because, you know, student athletes will go and look at and be like, well, everyone, uh, everyone above me has the answers, but I'm too afraid to ask Mm -hmm. for the answers. But then we're having this conversation. And even though, you know, people like yourself and myself, you know, have a lot of good uh, philosophy to to spread in in this uh, podcast here. Uh, they they are seeing at the same time too that we're going through our own challenges as well. Like no one's perfect in this whole situation. And the one thing that that's worked for me actually into into my my uh, advantage is that I've been you know a business owner for six years. I've worked from home. I have you know gone from eight in the morning till three in the morning the next day, just working away. You know I'll do my one coffee and not eat as much or whatever. But I've, I have, you know, family and friends who are going through it saying, I don't know how the hell you do this. And it's like, well, I've been working on it for six years, not by, not on purpose, but it's just my life that I've gone through. And, but now 
while they're struggling to figure out how to do the home life, I'm going, this is the perfect time for me. Like there's a, there's a brand new track and I'm trying to be as isolated as possible. It's a brand new track up the street from me. Uh, and I've, I've, I've gotten back into running like in this past week, I've dropped uh, about like 11 pounds. Right. Like, you know, I'm starting to, you know, the, right. I, I did what the common bear did. I, and everyone laughed at me. I gained as much weight as I could and stored as much <laughs> fat as I could for a time like this. And now my body's living off of it. Yep. And you know, things are going to be okay. So smart. It's so smart. <laughs> yeah. And that was by design. That wasn't just me enjoying too many ice no, creams. No, it's and, clearly and, methodical. You've clearly yeah, thought through yeah, this process. Wendy's and, and, and all that good stuff. But there you go. But let, let's circle back uh, to more to your message. What, what's something, you know, this is a great opportunity to, you know, really get uh, our, own, our own message out there or what our philosophy is. Um, you know, what's something, uh, the word that you really want to spread? Uh, to the student athletes of today um, so we can help them on their journey and through this process. I know it's going to sound crazy coming, especially from me to you, but um, there is more to life than hockey. And I agree. And what I mean, and what I mean by that, I mean, uh, there are very few people who are able to make a career out of hockey, make a life out of hockey after they're done playing. I know too many examples of people that are done their collegiate hockey and that's it. They want nothing else to do with it because they went so hard for so long. And, and that's it. And now they don't know, um, they're missing a lot of life skills because as we've, we've spoken about it before in our previous conversations about how, you know, hockey for these young athletes is their job. They're committing time to it every single day. And I respect that wholeheartedly, but there are so many other parts of life that hockey can bleed itself into if you let it. So, you know, be a great teammate. That's wonderful. So hopefully that transfers and you'll be a great colleague at wherever you're going to work but I think that when we focus we put all of our eggs in that hockey basket and you decide like for example we're talking about student athletes let's say you choose a hockey program not an academic program you're going to graduate with a degree in basket weaving come out of it as a as an elite athlete with your hands up in the air asking why someone's not giving you a job and that basket you're an elite level athlete that basket yeah. weaving common actually exists because I had a friend who was uh, offered a full ride um, from a school that would be named uh, nameless at this time. And this is back in 2004, though. Um, he was a hell of a mm-hmm. player, not a very good student. Mm-hmm. And if he got 800 on his SATs, he'd be able to go in. And I remember uh, he was playing for my dad's junior team at the time. And the old man said, well, what are, what are you going to take though? You're, you know, you're not much of a student, no offense, but you know, you, you're a goal scorer. Right. That's, not, that's what you're for. And he, he's actually uh, a fellow that plays in the uh, national lacrosse league. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, Oh, no, it's okay. They told me I can take general studies. And he actually said, can you believe one of my electives would be basket weaving? That's an actual no. thing. Yeah, that was oh, an God, actual course. No, that know. was that was real. So it was good that you said that because so that just me I had a chance. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Lloyd. Lloyd Christmas, but dumb and dumber. Just like, there, and you know what? This chance. is like, there's a little bit more of an opportunity, I think, for the male athlete. I can't, I can't speak that enough because I don't. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have that. You have and, an experience, and that's a hundred years of a hundred years of doing it uh, one way only is the reason right. why that they have that advantage. You know, if it was done right. both Especially ways, now, we'd we all have it. Yeah. We don't have a women's pro league. So once you graduate, if you didn't pick up a degree in something that's useful, and I mean useful, like, you know, applicable that can get you a job or lead you to a master's or whatever your goal is, then, then what are you doing? You know, it's hockey. It's hard on the body. You're up six days a week for, for varsity hockey, like collegiate yep. hockey. That's what this takes. Um, and you compromise 
your degree program because you're taking time out for exams or, you know, there's no, you don't get to go home for long weekends when everybody else does. So it's just, I just want to say that there's, there's more to life than hockey, but it's just, you got it. I think it comes down to your direction, knowing why you're going. And like I said, I'm dealing with a lot of athletes that are choosing their schools based on hockey programs and not academic programs. Yeah. And it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. Yeah, it it is. And you know, I, you know, as you, as you know, I have a niece who plays and, uh, and she's playing at, um, in the PWHL and she chose, see her, 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 uh, her approach was different and this is kind of just the way, you know, and it, maybe it comes to upbringing, maybe it comes, you know, just from the, the brain that's between the ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were only three schools that offered the program that she wanted, which I, I think it's like biomedical research and, or biomedical engineering, you know, your partner would probably know the, the, the terminology better yeah. than I would. Um, but, uh, but there was only three schools uh, and the only one in the States was Cornell and there's mm-hmm. U, uh, university of Prince Edward Island on the East coast and there was Guelph. So mm-hmm. for her, it was really simple and it really, and all three have, you know, they've had uh, very successful hockey programs. Uh, and her thing was, if there was no opportunity in the States to, uh, for, for that particular program, uh, even right. if she had other uh, scholarship opportunities, um, there, there wouldn't be, uh, she wouldn't do it. She would have stayed at home. And I think that's something, mm-hmm. you know, that actually uh, a couple of Dan Lichterman and, and Spencer Anderson, who were on the show earlier this week, had touched upon is that chasing the brand um, confuses families and athletes. They see something and and Spencer Anderson had talked about this when he left tier two junior here in the OJHL, uh, where he was a superstar and he was on, Mm -hmm. you know, he was on the, the, uh, team Canada for the, uh, what's like junior a. So what you do for with Turkey, basically like the division two, you know, of of the major level. And, uh, and he said, like, you know, I, I went to the Kitchener Rangers because I thought, well, this is the OHL. It's the place to be. This is where it's going to put right. me over the top. And when he right. got there, it wasn't, no, you're not being put over the top. You're going to put us over because we don't want you to be the goal scorer or the playmaker that you were at the lower level. We want you to be a fighter now. Or we, and, yeah. you know, and another person I had on, on the show was a, a friend of mine, Scott Jacqueline, when he went to uh, Robert Morris and he, he was, you know, he, he was, mm-hmm. he's a very good two way hockey player, but you know, his offensive ability obviously outweighed the defensive side. And when he came in, he was told, well, we really need you to work on your defensive game. Cody Creighton was told, I need you to, his, Derek Schooley said to him, you play top six minutes or you don't play at all. So right. half of the, half of those positions are wiped out. And I think that's the problem. They chased the brand. They didn't right. go into it. They left situations that were really good for them, but it was like, well, I got nothing left to prove here. It's like, yeah, but you're extremely right. successful here. And I think that's what, what gets confused there. Because you have, you have more experience at this than I did because I, I, I chose a different path um, when it, after I left athletics. How important is it to really research these programs and to make sure that you're, you're doing the one that's the perfect fit for you to be most successful? So Scott, it's hard because I, I speak from experience and not a positive experience necessarily. I didn't, I'm saying do as I say, not as I do, because um, I was um, graduating high school. I just wanted to be away from home and which school that, was the furthest that was going to take me. And that's a part of, uh, that's a part of the brand too. So that's a good, for our right. listeners, that's a good thing to listen about. So, they might be thinking about that's all they want to do is just get away from home. I just want to get away from home. So like, you know, my example's uh, not the best example, but I think it's a an ability, it has the ability to, to teach. So um, I just kind of panicked. 
I picked the school first. I changed my degree three times while I was in there because I re realized halfway through, oh my God, what am I doing? So I came out with a kinesiology degree, um, started in general arts because if you're a student athlete and you don't know what you're doing, but the school wants you to play, you're probably in general arts. Um, but I can see these examples from my athletes now, the junior athletes, like they're getting offers, they're getting 10 offers yeah, and they don't know how to sift through it because they didn't think about it before. Hey, like your niece, these three schools are where I want to go. If any of those three schools offer me a, a situation, whatever the program looks like a package, then I'll deal with it. Instead, they have offers from everywhere coming in and then saying, well, this school programs this, or their colors look better. And I mean, I get that to a certain degree, but like, you know, the swag's got to count. But if you're thinking yeah. of your actual, like, do I want to stay in Canada? Do I want to be close to home? Do I like, these are things that they're taking into consideration. And I wish I could kind of, give them a bit of a shake and say, which program do you want to go to? Mm -hmm. Pick that first. If hockey didn't exist as it doesn't right now, this is it. This is the state we're in right now. Which school, which program would you like to go to? Which one's more accredited? Is it business? Who, okay, great. Who's got the best business school? What do you want to have a degree from? And you're proud of it. Like, do you want to go to name it? Do you want to go to Cornell? Do you want to go to McGill? Do you want to go to these kind of schools? So, um, I, my, like I said, my example isn't a great example, but it's an example to learn from. And, and I, when I speak to my athletes, I was never a first line player. I didn't choose school for the right reasons. And so this is why I speak to them from the heart is because I went through it and would like to help, uh, just guide their journey a little bit. Well, and you know, that, that example that you just gave, uh, relates a lot to what Cody Creighton said. And, um, it's actually reminds me of a conversation that I had with his dad and his dad was, um, you know, Bugs, Brian is his dad's name, but we all call him Bugsy cause that's been his nickname for life. Bugs was t saying that, you know, he wasn't cause he, cause he grew up through it and he, he knew like, uh, it was more about the experience and he was actually looking at division three or even club teams in California right you know, New York city, like metropolitans or, or states that have nice weather all year, because who would love what an experience that would be, but they, they had really great academic programs. And it was just the fact that you could hockey was a, or, or being a student athlete was just a byproduct, an opportunity that you could have right. there. And, and people right. don't look at that approach and I, and something, you know, for anyone who's listening, and you think you're on the division three uh, or club level, could you imagine, you know, there's business, business management, economics, commerce, whatever it is, you know, kinesiology, you could, you could do it here at home in Canada. You know, you don't have to do Ontario, but you, there might be something. Can you imagine doing four years in California and playing just club hockey right. and being a top player, sure. and maybe winning a championship, that experience alone. But what Cody right. did was kind of what you did. He went, Robert Morris offered him a deal. It was NCAA and that was to mm -hmm. make you more credible in, in the mm -hmm. world and, you know, be the cool kid. And he right. said, with the exception of his last year, he said the first three years were just hell because, yeah. um, you know, he, he had a different personality. He had a terrible attitude. He had an mm -hmm. uncle who was, you know, at the NHL level who was going to, mm -hmm. he was, he just thought he'll, he'll, he'll get my, he'll get me in the door and then it's up to me. But the world that he was in, it's like, look, you're not even, you're not the person who you were when you're at the lower level, you are now the right. person who is coaches coming to you and saying like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like this, is, this right. is no good. You used to be a right. star at a, again, a lower level. They didn't take him from the OHL. Not that they could because of those restrictions, right. but they took him from a two tier league, but yet that tier two league can be looked down upon. It's almost like, you know, for girls hockey, for any of the female players who are listening, um, you know, 
we have a, we have an athlete um, who's going to be on the show actually tomorrow, Rachel Cole, and she was actually at nationals when uh, when this happened. PEI was hosting it, and she said um, her conversation is going to be her experience. She was a first year midget A player. She played Bantam Double B the year before, and Bantam B before that because she wow. just she started late. She started Pee I believe. Yeah. She went midget A, midget double A, two years of junior. By provincials, UPI says, hey, we like what we see. Do you want to come on board? And it was like, you know, life-changing. And that was, mm-hmm. there's someone who had a tremendous experience. She did five years there and she had a great experience. And obviously not at the end, but, you know, better than what a lot of athletes do who say, okay, well, here's the big sexy brand. I'm going to go for it. And then what should yeah. have been the best four years or five years of your life turns out to be some of the worst years and you live in regret. Right. I know enough, I know enough examples of people that come back from like, you know, any name, any of the division one colleges, uh, universities in the States, they come back and they're like, what did I do that for? Like, I know Dartmouth grads. I know RIT grads. I know Princeton, Harvard grads. And first off, doesn't make them better people. Okay. Like you're talking about like characteristics and their person doesn't make you a better person. Um, and I've experienced some of those personalities. Yeah. They're like, what did I do? Why did I go down there? I could have just, my degree would have meant the same here, but they realize, they realize later. Um, and maybe one of those type of athletes need to come and speak, but they realize later that like, it wasn't what it was set out to be. It wasn't, if they sold this big picture and as a junior athlete, you got an offer to, uh, Dartmouth. You're like, wow, this is amazing. Listen, it's amazing for some people but I really think people need to think it through. Is this what I want? Is there a program there I actually want to go to? Is it a city I want to live in? Do I want to give my body physically, mentally, emotionally to play for the school at the highest level? Yeah, and exactly. And be away from home and, and so be it. So. It's, yeah, it's very taxing and those are all the things. And obviously we have the drive to do it. And that's something Cody said. He said, I had 100% drive uh, going into his pro career. Cause he actually went to Budapest to play for a year. And then he uh, ended up in Denmark his last year. And he said the second it went from a hundred to 99% drive that 1%, which was mm-hmm. three hours of three hours on the ice and in the gym every day, living that lifestyle, that 1% was when he said, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm packing this in. It wasn't, you know, a hundred to 50, it was a hundred to 99. Yeah. And that's all it really takes yeah. is just that little change. So when you're thinking about these student athletes, like, you have to give all that for the women, especially again, because there's no, there's nothing afterwards right now. There is no pro league. Yes. The NWHL exists, but I just mean, generally speaking, the they're a sustainable come out of pro this, league like, to, to make sustainable, it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you're going through all this hockey as well as studying. So it's like, you really, this is a big decision and I think it's taken too lightly. And I think, like I said before, uh, it has to be a little bit more specific. You got to pick the school first. And then contact their hockey programs and see if they're looking for bodies, if it's somewhere you want to go. And don't pick it because of location. Don't pick it because yeah. of colors. Don't pick it because someone you knew went there. For the, for the junior team that you're involved in, um, mm-hmm. did you help out? And, and, or or um, Obviously, they probably asked you a lot of questions um, when they were going through that process. What, what were some of the common things coming up that they were uncertain about before making their commitments? I know a few did uh, got their commitments in just as the tail end of the year. So what were some of those mm-hmm. deciding factors for them, uh, to your knowledge? So when I had conversations with some of the athletes, I mean, some of them come to me with a little bit more personal end of things. Some come with a little bit more business side of things. But... Um, a lot of their concerns were um, percentage of their program being paid. So if it mm-hmm. was like how much money were they getting an academic and an athletic scholarship? 
Mm-hmm. Um, some of them were offered positions based on achieving an academic goal. Like, let's say right now they're at a 70% in school and the school's like, yeah, we love your hockey ability, but we need you to have a 75. Yep. Um, so a lot of stress from money, a lot of stress or questions around making the, making the grade. Yep. Um, and then it was, do I want to be away from home or not? And for some of us, it's an easy decision for others. It's not right. And like we've got some great universities in town. We live in Toronto. We've got Ryerson, York, U of T, like all of these things are so accessible, but you, I mean, put yourself back in their shoes. Do you want to stay in your home? Is that a, yep. is that a factor for you? So that's, those are the things that they were all working through. And that's, and that goes back to the thing of, well, my friend's going away, so I should go away because, and, and it's almost like you're, like I always say, don't be a follower, be a student of your life. And right. when University of Toronto, for example, when they come into the conversation, I say, go, wait, what, you know, why? I said, they're one of the top 20 schools in the world in the world yeah not absolutely. not 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 canada the no, north america the world like yeah. you know it's just, and it's the same thing when uh when i talked to my niece when she made the commitment to cornell and i said do you know what it means to be in an ivy league she's like well you know you got to be really smart i said yeah you got to be really smart absolutely mm-hmm. but do you know what it means do you know the kind of do you know the the caliber of people that go to that kind of school and she's like no what do you mean i said okay well i'll give it to you this way uh, over in the UK, Oxford and Cambridge. Here it's Queen's McGill, University of Toronto. And in the States, it's Ivy. If you want to be prime minister or president of your country or be in a really high level, a really high performing role in society, mm-hmm. you got mm-hmm. to come from one of those schools. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is too, sometimes those schools, uh, you know, Cornell has been very lucky to have the, the staff that they've had in place who work so hard to recruit the right players to have, have such a successful program. Most of those yeah. schools that are ranked higher for their academics usually don't have great sport programs. But mm-hmm. again, it goes back to what you're saying. That, that experience to be on one of their clubs, to go with one of the best educations in the world and knowing how to use it and leverage it based on how you, what you've learned in hockey or in sport, um, any, anything. Um, if you know how to put those together, then, then you're becoming a real human being and you're, you really got a great, great grip on life. But I, I, I know what you mean when, you know, I know, I know some who chose, uh, and I have friends who, who chose, and there's nothing wrong with D- division three. Spencer Anderson had a, right. had a great time at Hamlin, but I had some buddies who went division three for the sake of just, they wanted to play another four years from ages 20 to 24. Dad already had a job lined up for them mm-hmm. and they were taking courses that, were very generic and basic and they were just there for the hockey experience. And they played with my older brother who went to university of Toronto. He went to the Mississauga campus for political science. And, uh, when they came back and they were talking, like we're hanging out and they're talking to my brother and like, so what, wait, what course or program are you in? He's like, political science. What's that? And he started explaining it. They're like, Oh, you know, I I took music, (laughs) I took music appreciation this, this, this uh, semester (laughs) or this term. Right. And, and it's, it's the things that you really have to think about. Do do you think now, you know, now that we're getting into, you know, um, there's so many more resources. Do you think that the programs uh, of any sport that the, that they're doing enough to educate their athletes on, on thinking of this kind of stuff? Or do you think it's something that's still in transition? It's, we haven't really found out what that, what that step-by-step or magic formula process is yet. Um, you know, there's a really cool Netflix series that I'll, I'll push you towards after this. It's about college football, but yeah, it's a good one. But, um, you know, I think if, 
if they were truly educating these athletes on the process, I don't think they would show up to the rink in a hat with their logo on it, a shirt with their logo on it, pants with their logo on it, and shoes that match their school swag, right? Yeah. Like, that's a selling feature for me, and I think that they would be a little bit more approachable uh, in in talking about their school. But it's hard because I think that we all just we kind of all feed into it. Like you to go against to go against the grain is very difficult to do, and I don't think that it's going to happen. Um, anytime soon, especially with the women's game, because this is the selling feature. The selling feature is getting a partial or full ride scholarship to play your sport at an academic institution, regardless of the program. We hold that above all else. And then when they graduate, we're like, well, what the hell did you go there for? But I just mean that I don't think that, you know, the recruits don't come with an academic advisor. They don't come That's... with a, they don't come with a phone, a line or an email saying, Hey, listen, contact them first let them put you on a path to your career, talk to them about what programs you might be interested in, and then we'll see if you're a fit for the program. No, they show up to a game, some kid gets a hat trick, they say, here's a free t-shirt, come to our team. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we're selling the skill first. And listen, for some, for some people, they would never get to go to university otherwise. And I think, you know, that makes me so proud of them. They get, they get in on, in another path. I, I, I think it's determination, right? They can kind of, they find their own way, whether it's from the back or the side, they're getting into the pro, they're getting into school, one way or the other. But again, for the average bear, I think we're being sold on, on the hockey program and not mm -hmm. on the academics. And as a person who's gone through the process, when you come out of it, like I know enough, they're, they're, Scott, I could literally give you a roster of female athletes who all have a degree and then went back to college for a diploma. And now we're working in that area. For example, policing, it's a huge one. Female athletes, they graduate with a uh, degree in telemarketing and now all of a sudden they're police officers there's nothing wrong with that i think it's wonderful i think going into that as a mature individual is better than going into it as a 20 year old policing yeah my but brother's a cop I, right love him thank you thank you for his service and i just mean that like if they had thought about it like for me i'm a hockey coach it is my job and some people kind of you know raise their eyebrows at it but if i had thought that this was an option for me my path would have been very different. I'm very thankful for my degree in kinesiology, but I definitely would have gone a little bit of a different route, route if I route, route if I thought that this was actually an option. If I thought that this is something that I could obtain. Well, here's so here's something that's really cool because my my brother's been a cop since uh, 2012, and he didn't want to be a cop at first. And my brother was a hell of a hockey player, and he had opportunities um, to continue on. and And he said, "I can't give my all." And this is actually a friend that my friend, uh, this is actually something that my friend Jonathan Pierce said to me uh, after his first year down in West Virginia. He says, there's three things. There's uh, athletics, academics, and social. You can have two of the three. You can't have all three. And my brother had that mentality. And, I, and uh, my brother did five years of, of political science and he was going to go to law school after. And his approach changed when he did the five years. I remember that fifth year, he really burned himself out giving like his mm -hmm. absolute all. He was president of the UN club and a bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. doing a lot of extracurriculars to really up the, up his ante for the, uh, for his application to law school. And then he decided that he wanted to become a cop because, you know, after 25 years, you get that full pension. So his idea was, I'm going to go do my 25 and then I'm going to go back to law school and then I'll do consulting and some, and a practice. And, and I'm not sure if that's really what he's on right now, but to go full circle back to, you know, different opportunities and, 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 you know, not using degrees. He, he told me that uh, for the amount of women 
who come into um, you know his uh, his region um, to become cops. They're coming in at, at, at later ages, and when they tell them, because he used to be a field training officer, what they're looking for actually is you know for for women, if you're 18 and you finish your degree and you have it done by 22, the Ooh. fact that for one they want more female female police officer, police officers on the force mm-hmm. and they just want to see that they're taking someone who could seek something through and completed it mm-hmm. and they're willing to take them at that younger age where they, they start out around i think it's like uh 72,000 a year and they, they peak at about 108,000 uh, a year and then they have um, a, a lot of great benefits uh where with men they're not willing to hire them until between the ages of 28 and 32 right now. And they want to see a degree. They want to see work experience because we all know men simply don't think. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there's, there's those opportunities for women, but it, but it's, it, it's that inside information of knowing that. And it's actually the same thing uh, for a friend of mine who's a uh, fire chief down in uh, St. Catharines. Um, mm-hmm. They love, they love hiring female athletes because they got, you know, they, they know routine, they know the drive, they got motivation sure. and there's opportunities for when they're younger. But the, again, and, and they said like, you know, that's something else is to be able to take, you know, a course that is maybe applicable to those public yeah. services. It doesn't have to be specific. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be, mm-hmm. you don't have to do law or specialize in fire, but something that's applicable that can be relatable to, and sometimes it's just business administration because you do have to be on top of your, your uh, sure. work like that. Um, but yeah. you can use that for other things. And I think that's something that student athletes aren't being told that, you know, you have to really filter what you're learning and then seek out other ways to apply it. But I, but again, yeah. this is why we're doing this um, podcast and, and building this academy is to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, so let's change gears here. There's something that came up in my mind before I started going rambling and I'm going to want to try and listen <laughs> more than I ramble. Um, what do you think it takes to build a winning program? And I don't mean winning as in just in championships or games. I mean a winning program in the development and education of these athletes where they're getting they're getting their life skills, their sport, you know, they're, they're understanding uh, what the next few years look like in front of them. They're being more prepared. What do you think are the contributing factors that make a winning program in athletics? I, number one for me, uh, and this goes for a lot of my on ice stuff as well, is educating the parents, parents and guardians. Whoever is taking care of that child needs to know what's going on and needs to be on board because I can – we can have this conversation for an hour at the rink and then you leave and whatever they're saying to you in the car at home, Oh, don't believe coach. That's a bunch of whatever, like it it doesn't really matter. So I think you have to have a community involvement. And with that, I think there are levels. It has to start, there has to be streamlined. Like a Bantam kid should know that university is an option and hockey could help to get there. But if it doesn't, you are still successful. It's still like we just can't validate ourselves only with sport. And I know it sounds, again, from me to you, it sounds crazy because we've both made a, made a career out of hockey uh, in different ways, but in the same. And so I think to be able to build a successful program, not, not about W's, but I think you have to have well-rounded individuals and you have to have community involvement. And I, I use the term community to speak to parents, guardians, friends, family, siblings, that kind of thing. You know, Scotty Bowman uh, said in a documentary that I once saw that uh, to develop a winning program, you have to eliminate the crutches. And that's something what you just touched on, that the, the poor attitude, the not buying in factor. Uh, again, and as we, as we get deeper into this conversation, we're not talking about skills and drills and pumping iron and, and all that stuff. 
that that helps you perform. We're talking about the stuff that really counts that you have to do before that that can help you really excel there. Um, and and I and I agree with that. I, I think you know I, that's the way I coach. If you can eliminate the crutches in your program, where s- someone has to stand up and pull up their socks and, and, and do the best they can, then, you know, you're going to be successful in the course I'm doing with London real, they call it resistance and mm-hmm. it's like a tech resistance. Well, you lost a connection during a podcast. Well, that's tech resistance. You know, that's something outside of your control. Uh, something didn't go right with your sound. Well, that's within your control. The, the technology was, res- was causing this resistance. You really don't want to do it, but you have to now. And if you want to create that yeah. good product, you have to go ahead and, and go forward with it. Um, mm-hmm. what, what else, what, what, what is the thing that really drives you for coaching? Like you obviously have, like we've talked many times for many moons and many hours on, uh, on all that, but what's the thing that like, is that something when you wake up and you're just like, yes, I get to go out and coach today. Cause I think that's, that's something I talked to Jesse cook when, when looking for a good coach, you need to make sure you're finding the one who is all in. And I know that you have that all in. So is that, is that how you feel when you get up and you know that you got a full day at the rink? It's such a, it's such a wonderful question. And I think like if you were to ask his partner, if you were to ask my partner, I think they would actually be able to answer this question more colorfully because, um, <laughs> that's a good, that's, you know, uh, because that's right. <laughs> it, it takes a family to do this and you'd be silly to think otherwise. Um, I, I don't, sometimes I think about why I'm so nuts about it. Like I, I can't stop thinking hockey mm. and whether it's just like, having a drink and talking about it. I love it. Whether it's just sitting with my whiteboard and marker and I'm drawing out drills. Like I, I can't help myself. Um, I was never, I alluded to this before. I was never elite. Um, I came into hockey pretty late in life. I came in, uh, myself. I was 10 the, the year of my 11th birthday. So I would have been peewee. I was so bad to maybe play Adam, but anyway, so, uh, um, and I think I came into it late and because I didn't kill myself with high level, I think my, my flame still burns, right? I think yeah. the kids that started at the age of two and played till they were 22. Well, that was already 20 years. I started at 10. So I'm just getting up to 20 years now, you know, and it's like just beyond, but anyway, so I think I, I can't, I can't pinpoint why I love it so much, but I'm just nuts about it. I love equipment. I love players. I love the men's game. I love the women's game. I love the athletes. I love the science behind it. I love the politics behind it. I can't, I actually can't get enough. And so again, it's an opportunity with you. Of course, I'm going to jump on board. I'm, I'm here anytime you need it, especially during COVID-19 quarantine. I'm all yours, but uh, oh, otherwise me, I'll we'll, be at the rink, you know? Believe, believe me, we'll be developing a whole mini, mini series on you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's the, the way I described it actually to my coach in this course that I'm taking with London Real. Her name's Kia Baker and she, she's phenomenal. And, uh, and she, and I said to her, I said, you know, it's like, um, and here, here's, I'll explain it. I remember one time I was talking to my niece when I was, I, oh, I was doing that uh, whole thing about, uh, you know, Ivy and Cambridge and Oxford and Queens mm-hmm. and McGill mm-hmm. and, you know, world leaders go to that school. And she kind of had like that little, like that innocent, <laughs> like, Hey, I, I understand. I see where you're getting at right now. Like I, I'm, I'm picking up on this type of thing. And we've done yeah, that when yeah. we're kids, when you hear something that, you're like, okay, I thought that's what it was, but now someone has said it and it's validated. Now I can run with this. And I said For to sure. her, she's like, she's like, you know, you're doing awesome in this course. What, what's, you know, driving you to do this? And I said, I, I think it's like a, the best way I can describe it. It's like your inner child is coming out. It's something that you, it's a, it's something where you're able to express you, the real you. 
and you're able to show that to the world and, and have that influence and impact. And for many years, I wasn't like that. For many years, I was the opposite. I remember when I first got into coaching, I, I was the Mike Keenan type of mentality. And mm-hmm. that only works for one year at a time. By year two, everyone, you know, you know says, okay, <laughs> enough, man. Like, you're, you're, cause yes, I've seen, yeah. I've seen you be really funny in the lobby and, and pretty chill right. in, in the lobby. But then, you know, once that puck drops, you know, you're, you're playing, again, you're playing the role. You're not developing the real, the relationship. So I think that's the thing when right. you, when your inner child comes out and that, that's what can make it so passionate. Um, Here's a question that I had for Jess, uh, for Jesse earlier today, and I'll ask you because I asked him, you know, what should a player and a family be seeking out in a strength coach? And he gave me his rebuttal on that. So for you, what should families be seeking out in a head coach or if a coaching staff meets with a player? Like, what what are some of the like? What would you be looking for um, if you were playing Um, uh, minor hockey today? Yeah. So my. You know, I always think back because we only had volunteers when I played and that's still the case for a lot of organizations. That's fine. And I'm so thankful for them to get me on the ice. And, um, but I had, uh, only dads or male family members who wore jeans and Jofa helmets and it used to always make me laugh. And it still does now when I see jeans or Jofa helmets on the ice, uh, anyone combinations any, are even better. Anyone with a Jofa helmet today, they... They're, they're really, favorite. they're really obsolete. Especially if it's the Russian um, model. Oh man, just white. It just kills me. So <laughs> I think when you're looking, when you're a parent and you're whatever level you're looking at a, a coach, I think something to consider is if the coach is in a paid position or not, mm-hmm. doesn't matter who you are. I think that affects it. It kind of changes. Uh, it can change a couple things. Not that other people aren't committed, but it just means you're, you know, there's a different, there's a different relationship, I think, with the team and organization when you have a paid coach. Um, not that there is a major difference, but for some athletes, um, the presented gender of your coach is something that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I've had a couple female athletes reach out to me and say, I've never played for a female coach before. Um, how is that going to be different? And I, I think it's kind of a a silly question. I appreciate it that they're so open and, and able to come yeah. at me. And I was like, it well, shouldn't they don't be, know, right? but right. But I'm also going to, there's different levels of understanding and that's also individual, not just based on sex or gender. So, um, but I, I think it's so, so, so important to meet with your coach. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of this because we take for granted technology, email, phone calls, I think sitting down with somebody, you just get a feeling. doesn't matter who yeah. you are. You got a gut feeling like this guy's up to something or this girl knows what she's talking about. Right. Um, and I think, you know, asking a coach what their philosophy is. Like for me, if I can leave next season as a head coach and I know that all of my kids, all of the athletes are um, outstanding members of society contributing in a positive way, I think I've done my job. Okay, some yeah. parents that are paying the money think, wow, great, I would love to at least be over 500. But I think that it's, I think, again, when I go back to those ethics, morals, values, people skills, those are the things I'd like to develop. There are some kids that don't say more than five words in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a team sport. Otherwise, go play tennis, but we're going to have to. We're going to have to talk. We're going to have to work together and, and build those skills. So I think for families looking for a new coach or a new organization, meeting with that individual or the team of individuals, if there's assistant coaches available as well, I think that's going to be invaluable. Oh, that's a great point. And, and again, a piece of information that – a lot of families out there don't know. They they think it's just okay. Find the team with the available spot. I've seen. I've I've received emails and colleagues of mine have received emails right. where 
you know, from all these players who are, some of them are at a few levels below and say, oh, my kid really wants to play for you. Or the, or the player says, I would love to play for you. I've been tracking your team all year. And it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. um, you're, you know, this is a double A or triple A and you're A or double B, you know, this is a big jump. So I advise you to come to tryouts and then you never hear from yeah. them again. And that's right. the thing because, and they don't realize how valuable meeting with that coach is. And especially, you know, you got to be realistic at the same time in that, in kind of that scenario. Um, but you really have to, uh, you really have to engage. Like even our, like you and I have talked on the phone many of times and we're doing our first uh, video call here and it's like, so it's just a different atmosphere. Like where it's like, you know, when sure. you see someone's face, you're feeding off, off of them and you're getting, you're mm-hmm. seeing enthusiasm and, and you start masterminding mm-hmm. as, as I like to call it. Um, we're yeah. starting to run out of time, but we're going to hit you now with the, the question that, uh, um, that I do with everyone on the show. And I know that I've, I gave you the heads up on this to prepare for, and, and we're going to try and get some sort of answer out of there and then see if it's, uh, <laughs> and see if, uh, we can go, uh, I, just started sweating. I don't note. even know. What's yeah. It's like, everything's, right everyone's shaking all of a sudden. <laughs> cool. It's finally, you Uh-oh. know, you're looking a little flush now, black. but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like I ask all of our, uh, all of our mentors that come onto the show, um, knowing what you know now, uh, if you had the 16-year-old you in front of you right now and you're able to say something to that young woman, uh, what, what, what advice would you give her? So I just want to preface this that like when I was 16, um, Facebook launched. So I'm giving you an idea of time of life. Yep. So this is 2004. Um, so the athlete training mentality, especially in the women's game, was very different. But if I could speak to me at 16 – Um, I'd probably say get a haircut and I would tell myself to set realistic, measurable goals. I think I just kind of lived day to day and hoped that something had happened to me, for me, um, instead of saying, this is what I want to have, you know, just because like your people think, okay, they're just kids, but I can see the mentality in a lot of the 16 year old athletes I work with. They have the capacity, they have the knowledge now, they have the internet. So I think setting goals would be something so huge. I wish I looked back and said, this is what I want to have, you know, five-year goal, sure, two-year goal, one-year goal. Um, and that could have been, for me, uh, physically, I was, I was a bit overweight uh, as a teenager. Um, I think um, it would have been important for me to do that physically, mentally. Seek answers and setting goals would be uh, something I wish I could hear myself say. And there you have it, Chala. It's been awesome. Um, and goal setting is actually something we're going to be doing a, a direct episode for a mini series to talk to on our uh, on our athletes. So I'm sure you'll have more to contribute to that, and also uh, all of our other coaches because that's something we really want to touch on. Uh, this has been a great experience. I really love the fact that you came on here, and I'm really excited to have you on future episodes. Scott, thanks so much for your time, and I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. This is Scott McDonald with the Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you all next time.